Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? All right, we're back. Part two. Welcome to Coaching Inside the Box. We're off to the races. Listen in on the fun. So let's bring something super topical. Um, it's Friday, so we're two days from the USA Sweden game, uh, where um, I think Andy and I probably watched the game with a little bit closer eye than maybe most did, because in 2019, Andy and I went on tour to France and went to the Women's World Cup. We took, actually, I think it was like 350 people. Can, can, can I stop you a minute? You know, I started watching it with a close eye, but you know, you know, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I could hardly see the screen, because I was crying Too so much hard. whiskey? No, I was just crying. Oh. It was so upsetting. You know, I wanted the USA to win so badly. And you know, spoiler alert: if you're listening now and don't know what happened, they played terribly and lost three zero. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a really tough watch. But I I didn't expect it to be um, because we were at the U.S. Sweden game, literally at the U.S. Sweden game in Le Havre in France on tour, watching the game live in 2019, just two years ago. And um, at that game, uh, we won two zero. Um, but the game was played entirely with us in, in, in control and in possession, creating and going for it and, and dictating the pace of play. And that couldn't have been further from the truth in this most recent iteration of USA Sweden. Andy, what did you think of the game, at least the first 15 minutes before the tears started flowing? Um, I, I, I didn't get that far. You know, I, I attempted suicide after about 10. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, they they gave away out of the back through the midfield so much possession because the players couldn't hold the ball for an extra touch. You know, so the passes they played were forced again and again and again. And you know, they you know the one thing you know even the most passing oriented coach says time and again on the sideline is don't force it, don't force it. And the, the U.S. national team, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know her as a person, but Crystal Dunn was the worst culprit. She gave away the ball out of the back time and again because she forced the passes, you know, and she didn't have the ability on the ball to take the extra touch. Or, or maybe she has the ability but not the confidence to take the extra touch. So again and again, you know, we donated possession to a very athletic, a very young, a very fit, and, and dare I say a very confident Sweden team. You know, and, and, you know, it was really interesting because I watched the game that U.S. played against Sweden in the World Cup in France, in Le Havre, and the Swedish team did not have that level of confidence, that level of belief in that game. You know, it was the U.S. that had that level of confidence. Somehow in, in, in two years, they flipped the switch on the U.S. national team. And, and uh, Andy and I have talked about the game already before the episode, um, uh, but and it was something that Andy and I discussed. A, a, a big thing that we noticed in the difference between 2019 version and the 2021 version is in the 2019 version, Tobin Heath and Megan Rapinoe were fire down the sidelines. Like they, We kept feeding the ball, and they just kept running at the defender and beating them and creating. In fact, both goals came from that. Rapino on the left side, uh, right in front of us where we were sitting, 
Green beat the player um, and earned a corner kick, delivered the corner kick in. We scored from that, right? So it was creative, attack-minded, 1v1 play. But that wasn't the first time Rapino had run at her in that game. That player didn't know what was coming, couldn't guess if she was going to go right, left, play a pass and go again, or beat him off the dribble. Um, and that was fantastic. And then the second goal came from Tobin Heath, who is my favorite player to watch with the U.S. Women's National Team, just because of her reckless abandon. She has very uh, similar similarities to Clint Dempsey, to be completely honest. Just like this, I'm going to go at you, and I can do it. And with you know an, a, 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 a confidence, you know si- the size of Kingdom Come, and she beat a player and created, and that's where the ball ended up in the back of the net. And and that didn't happen for the U.S. this way. And, and I, I'm not, you know, certainly I'm not in every training session. I can't throw shade at any player saying they weren't prepared. But the way the game went. We didn't have enough possession to put our best players in opportunities to take players on 1v1. Whether that be they were older, whether that be they just were off, uh, you know, they were just off that day, I don't know. But, you know, it was a five-goal swing in two years, which is just mind-boggling at that level. Yeah, and then you bear in mind, though, that, that um, you know, it, Megan Rapinoe is, is two years older. I think she's 36 now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Tobin Heath is two years older. I think she's 34 you know, and and uh, and then Kristen Press, who you know, who you know, who uh, you know, in France was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, she's two years older, and she's you know close to Tobin Heath's age. Alex okay. Morgan, the same. Yeah, and and so you know what you've got is you've got um, you know there comes a point where you know even in in Paris and Le Havre in France, you know they were probably slowing down because they were already in their thirties. You know, but now they've slowed down a little bit more. And when you slow down, you do what Leo Messi has done and CR7 has done. You don't take on as much. You know, you don't do the crazy stuff. He, go back and watch highlights of CR7 at Manchester United. He was the dribbling fool. Mm-hmm. And, he would, and he would shoot from a different zip code. <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy would have a go from anywhere. You I know? think and you mean postal code, right? Because it was in Manchester? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. OX37EQ was mine growing up, and I'll never forget it. You know, and, you know, it's, you know what you've got to understand is that, uh, that, that he was full of you know what and vinegar and, and you know he he hadn't yet been humbled by the professional game and by you know the the creep of age and he's an incredible athlete now but he's not as much of an athlete as he was when he was younger of course not you know like, you know all of us you know it, it catch I, I i struggle walking up the stairs these days <laughs> so you know it's you know it, it it catches up with all of us you know and and you know we you know some of us earlier than others but that's the worrying part with the US women's national team is that the players have gotten older right and so they're not the best versions of themselves and are there creative dynamic attack minded players coming up behind him and i don't think there are and if there aren't the gap isn't closing the gap is closed the European women's soccer dominance is where we are now. And, and, and to be honest, it, it, we have nobody to blame but ourselves because we, we had the head start. We had the start, head start over the rest of the world from a women's soccer development perspective. But when we could have continued to push and be creative, right, um, we've gotten too European across the board from a youth perspective, in my opinion. So this is kind of funny because uh, last night I was, you know, I was on my Facebook and uh, I'm Facebook friends with Darren Sproles, you know, the... You know, all-purpose, you know, yard, you know, gainer, you know, receiver, running back, you know, in in the NFL. At least he was at one time. I'm not sure if he still is. But, but uh, you know, Darren used to play for me, you know. And, and Darren posted up on his Facebook uh, a, a picture of his daughter winning a 100-meter race, you know. And she won it quite handily. And Darren was ridiculously quick, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and I looked at that and I thought to myself, I've got to get in touch with Darren 
promise him that I'll develop his daughter, you know, to be incredibly good with the ball, beat players left and right, you know, because she's that fast kid that I believe would walk into the US team mm -hmm. if you combine speed and athleticism with skill, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, I, I didn't contact him because I thought that'd be cheesy, you know, and, you know, but, you know, I looked at it, I thought, should I, should I, should I? Yeah. You know, because what we need is we need the super athletes you know, to stay in an individual skill focus longer and longer and longer. And, you know, dare I say it, we've got an interesting disease here in Kansas City, you know, and it's very similar to the Brazilian disease that Philippe alluded to here because players are going to Europe too young. And so they're abandoning, you know, the skillship, you know, the, where they really learn how to handle you know, the, the biggest waves and the roughest conditions and, and still come out, you know, in a plowing ahead, you know, you know, with an intact ship and able to deliver the goods to the other side of the ocean. You know, and here in Kansas City, um, our club gets recruited to death, you know, at the age when parents perceive that players can go to the ECNL because the ECNL is heavily recruited. You know, so we lose these incredible athletes you know, there's incredible soccer players that well, are also athletes. That are also athletes, yeah. yeah. You know, these kids that can beat one or two or three defenders. Off the dribble. Off the dribble. And then they go to these other clubs in town. And yes, they do get recruited. They get college scholarships. And, you know, most of them end up D1. You know, and, you know, some of them end up on the national team, like Amelia Horton or uh, Aniston Kabantak, you know. And so, you know, we've, we've got these players that make the under 17 national team and, and, and make the national team very soon after they leave us. You know, within a year of leaving us, or a year and a half, or two years of leaving us, after spending years learning to beat people on the dribble. And so, you know, we are that equivalent of the Brazilian player that goes to Europe and gets coached out of the creativity, gets coached out of using the moves to beat players and score great goals, gets coached out of taking the 30-yard shot, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so, you know, and it, it's, it's my opinion that they would be much better to stay with us because they would be the Neymars of, of the modern game. They would be, going back to 1970, they would be the Pelés and the Jarzinhos. And let's use a woman's example here. Let's use Marta from Brazil as an example, because she's the greatest ever woman's player by an absolute country mile. You know, she's appeared in five Olympics, five World Cups. You know, she's an absolute superstar. She's blown everybody away in terms of the, the goals scored, come very close to winning, you know, World Cups with a team that's not as stacked as the U.S. national team, you know, just because of her individual brilliance, you know, and, you know, she has been, you know, just an absolute example to the rest of the world. She grew up playing boys soccer in Brazil, you know, and matured as a Brazilian player, was recruited to do her stuff to Sweden. But in Sweden, think about the Swedish culture. It's very much like Holland. It's very liberal. You know, people will let you be you. They'll support you in the way you want to live your life. You know, and it's, it's really an egalitarian society. You know, and I love Sweden, Denmark, Norway, because they see the world in a very fair way and a very artistic way, a very creative way. You know, and so she landed in a country that would support her 110% when she wanted to dribble the whole field and score. So she's only ever gotten better and better and better until age started catching up with her 
beating people, dribbling, taking players on and scoring, you know, and has made absolute wonderful athletes, strong defenders look absolutely stupid time and again, you know, in the one-on-one before scoring unbelievable goals. You know, so we, we've got this, a, a, a microcosm of what's happening, you know, in, you know, international soccer on the men's side, you know, um, happening in Kansas City here, you know, and if we um, could get the ECNL to take a look at us, you know, well, they've looked at us, you know, and, you know, if we could persuade them, hey, you, you, you support us into your structure, we don't lose the players that have gone across to the other teams in town, we'll be the club that's winning your national championships, you know, and, you know, but we will also be developing a style of soccer player that can win us World Cups down the road because we'll be training them this way until they're 18 instead of the players leaving us when they're 14 and getting um, regimented, mm-hmm. you know, being discouraged from being that, that ball wizard, that dribbling. I mean, the, the other clubs here locally in Kansas City are doing exactly what the European clubs are doing to the Brazilian players, which is they're saying, sweet, we've got this really creative player. Now, if we can just teach him our team game, completely not understanding that what happens is you learn the team game. You don't practice the individual game. You're not encouraged to do the individual game. And then you lose the individual game, 100%. right? Like, uh, sure, right? Like kids, kids leave us and they can still do a Maradona turn. But a year later, they're not doing a Maradona turn under pressure in a crowd. It, you know, when the chips are down and we need a goal and they need to get by that defender and bury it in the back of the net. And Why? Because, because they don't have the confidence to do it. They haven't practiced exactly. it. Exactly. It's not because they don't know how to do it. It's because after the whole week of two-touch possession, they're not even going to think about it. No, in of course ga- not. In yeah, the yeah. game situation. Yeah, yeah. They're just so conditioned into, you know, receiving and passing, receiving and passing, receiving and passing, receiving and passing. Then when there's no teammate open and they have to pull out a skill, they're not going to think about it because they're going to be, oh, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? They're so conditioned into receiving and passing. And that ruins the creativity because it's easy to say, oh, I'll train the team game during the week and then on the weekend, my players can do whatever they want. They'll have the freedom. I'll give them the freedom. No, you're not pro- giving them the environment during the week for them to keep uh, having those skills coming out of their ears and be part of their game. So they don't think about those in the weekend. So, and they so, I, do so it. I, before we go, I lived this firsthand. You know, I actually experienced this as a parent. You know, and so, you know, my daughter Holly, you know, she grew up in the Legends Club and all she ever knew was, you know, taking the lead, beating players, scoring great goals, using moves. She's got a drag Maradona. You don't see drag Maradonas in the professional game yet because nobody's figured out how to do that move or how to teach that move. And, and so I've never seen it outside of our club. My eldest daughter, Brittany, invented that move, you know, you know which is, you know, putting a drag off of a shield on the front of a Maradona. So... So my daughter Holly, because we had kind of a gap in the club, you know, and she was a 2003 player playing up on the 2001-2002 team, you know, um, her teammates graduated and we had a really good team until they, they all graduated. And then Holly had to go and play with another club that should remain nameless, you know, and, um, you know, with the other club, what she could do with a ball wasn't valued. You know, she was encouraged to play passes quickly, not to take on, you know, and, and, and she was, um, you know, to a certain degree criticized by the other players, you know, nice kids, you know, on the team, but it, it wasn't their ethos, 
you know, to take on. So um, being a girl, and girls are socialized to be more get along to go along than boys are, you know. So boys are the hunter, warrior, gatherer, and girls are the you know, lover, mother, nurturer. This is all part of psychology, differences in the sexes. Being a girl, she very quickly started backing out of you know, her, I'm going to go for it mode, I'm going to beat a player, I'm going to be two players, I'm going to score a goal from 25 yards, you know, and, you know, and so, you know, I watched with interest because, you know, I, I didn't cause any ruffles, I didn't, you know, complain, I didn't crab, I didn't, you know, talk to the coach about So much different to the start of this podcast when the whining and crabbing was about England. <laughs> Did you, you have, have to go there? You have, you have matured. You just, you just opened that wound again. You <laughs> oh, know, sorry, that, forgive me. You, you know, you, actually, dun, you just dun, turned dun. the wound septic. <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm going to die now of gangrene. You know, you know, it, you know it's just it, it wasn't it wasn't needed. I should. But, you were on a good. Yeah, I I interrupted you. So, so but I couldn't. But it was help good it. though. It was yeah, good. Yeah, you yeah. just had to slam me. <laughs> Do you want me to talk about you? So as you youth didn't player? crab to the other team's coach about the difference in ethos and style of play. No, you know, it, she was going to find this in college anyway. You know, and yeah. she's got you know close to a full ride in college. You know, so she was going to find out in college anyway that you know this is something that. You know, that she's going to have to play more to a system, you know. But occasionally, she'll still be able to produce a moment of brilliance. Yep. But, you know, after that year with that coach and four years of college, she'll probably come out at age 23 about one-tenth as capable of doing a, a drag marathon on a turn and beating one or two defenders and scoring a goal from 25 yards as she was when she was 16, 17, after being trained by our club all those years. You know, and, and that's you know, partially because, because she's a woman, and partially because she's going to try and be accepted and go along to get along. If she wants to even play in college, she's going to have to toe the party line instead of being a Neymar, instead of being you know, that player that can beat one or two defenders and score that World Cup winning goal. You know, she's going to be expected to get the ball and deliver it to somebody else. You know? And that's incredibly unfortunate because take the U.S. national team as an example – the only player that's young that does that stuff is Rose Lavelle. You know, and I don't see anybody else coming through. I see good athletes coming through, you know, monster athletes coming through, you know, but I don't see monster athletes that have got the ability with the ball to beat a player one-on-one -on -one and go to goal and put the ball in the net. Because our players are training to pass it sideways and backwards with their club team, and then their spare time is at speed and agility to turn them into monster athletes, forgetting that we're not good because we can't run fast and jump high. It's, it's cultural. We in the United States, from a soccer, youth soccer perspective, our culture is, is, it reflects our culture as a society, and we invented fast food. We want it all and we want it now. We glorified fast food that we get it all and we, and we get it all now. And so coaches are conditioned to try to win quickly. And winning quickly is not built around encouraging kids to make mistakes, encouraging kids to go for it. Winning quickly is built around finding the best athletes, throwing them on the field, right, and telling them how to be conservative and expedient and get the ball to the fast kid up front. And, and no matter how much the other clubs say and the other coaches say they don't do that, they do. They absolutely it's 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 more buttoned up now. It's 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 got you know fancy words that go along with it. And U.S. soccer has helped to perpetuate this all the way to, all the way from the top down. But we're so focused on getting the complete player now. Like I don't know how many times I've heard parents, even parents that that play for me, I I didn't see very many skills in the sporting game. 
They just pass the ball a lot. When are we going to start working on passing? Like completely not understanding that the goal isn't to create a sporting player at age eight or nine or ten or sixteen. The goal well, is to create a player that can twenty eight or is to maximize their potential at the highest level. And if sporting is the model, I mean, you had examples of Brazil of ninety seventy, Brazil of two thousand and two, Argentina of eighty six. You know, those are the teams that you got to emulate, not. The the sporting KC MLS team, and, I, you know. I love your fast food analogy. You know, I, I I tasted French cuisine, you know, haute cuisine when I was in my twenties for the first time, you know, and I'd been brought up on English fish and chips, you know, and and I fell in love with French cooking. It was a whole different experience, you know. Uh, it was entertainment. You know, it, it just opened, you know, flavor buds that I never knew I had. You know, it was just absolutely incredible experience. I love that analogy. And that's what the Brazilians brought to the table in 1970. And before that, you know, before that, you know, with Garincha and, and Pelé in 1958, you know, they brought this artistry. They brought entertainment. They brought magic, magic, mm-hmm. 100%. you know, to, to the game of soccer. And we watch a game now, and any of you that's listening to this can go and look up Brazilian highlights from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, from the, you know, the 2002 team, and, and you will understand what I mean. Or look up Diego Maradona and highlights of Diego Maradona, and you will see magic that players don't even try to do today. You know, and it's just incredible. And it's even more incredible because in, in the earlier days, you know, back in the 80s, you know, defenders used to literally get away with axe murder, mm-hmm. you know, and they'd be, they can stay on the field. These days, the dribbler is protected to an incredible degree, but we don't have enough dribblers. The guys that, that were in those teams then that dribbled and scored goals, they would have a heyday today because defenders have handcuffs you know, and ankle cuffs on today. They're chained, you know, by the laws. They can't go in studs up at knee high like they used to do mm-hmm. against Diego Maradona or Georgie Best. Did you say know? they or did you mean you? <laughs> Me. Yeah. Did I say they? I'm sorry. You, say, you would say I. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I used to do. I, I sometimes get that confused. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, so I was an ugly, you know, uh, you know. Still diff- are. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire today. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was talking about my method of play, not oh, my face. Me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you understand. Sorry, yeah. So, so, uh, but you know, I, a little story. Which know, is I'm, why you ended up in the red light district as an eight-year-old. Because eight you were old. I didn't say eight. It's the only way to find it. You know, I, I was nine. Uh, um, but, you know, I, I, I played for Oxford as a semi-pro player, and I was like 16, and, and our coach, Jeff Denio, rest in peace, you know, a lovely man, but, you know, it taught me to be an axe murderer. You know, he told me, you know, Mark Paul Day, the right winger, you know, and I want you, you, know, you always got away with the first tackle. I mean, you could have literally brought out a sawn-off shotgun and blown the guy's head off, you know, and you'd have got away with it's it. It's just his first ref. Yeah, that's, that was it. You know, you, you literally had to kill somebody to get the red card, first tackle of the game. And so Jeff Denial said, uh, Rubble, my last name's Barney, Barney Rubble, that was what I was known as. He said, Rubble, you know, axe murder him. So I did my Flintstone thing, you know. Yabba dabba doo! I was about as bright as, uh, as Barney Rubble at the time as well, you know. And Fred was a little bit brighter. Um, but... But, uh, you know, the first tackle of the game, the ball was played out the poor day, you know, and I was about 10 yards away and the ball got to him. And I literally took off in a sliding tackle with my studs up and, uh, and I hit him about knee height. 
And, you know, it wasn't pretty, and I'm not proud of it. You know, I'm just telling the story. But, you know, I hit him so hard that I took him over the barrier that separated the fans from the field, and I ended it enmeshed in this wire mesh, you know, underneath the, the metal, you know, dividers in this barrier. And the fans that were there were spitting on me. It was such a bad tackle, you know. You know and, and, uh, and, and anyway, Paul Day limped around for the rest of the half, you know, <laughs> I bet he did. didn't have any impact on the, the rest of the half. And, you know, when we came out for the second half, he wasn't there because I'd injured him too badly with the challenge. But when I got to the change room, and I think I was 16 at the time, you know, maybe 17, and, and uh, I got to the changing room before the coach because the dugout was on the far side of the field from where the changing room was. So I was on the side of the changing room. So I got in, I was sat down by the time the coach reached the changing room. And he walked straight towards me as he came through the far door to the changing room. And the first thing he said to me was, effing magic tackle rubble. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I was proud. I was proud. And I'm ashamed to admit, you know, now with my absolutely 100% fair, I'm the guy that now, if we get a bad call from the referee in our favor for a penalty kick... Well, you you know you were on teams that I did it with. What did I do? You passed the they passed the ball to the keeper, um, and didn't take take advantage of the poor call. But like again, it's cultural. Like like and that's and and th- we're talking we're talking what late sixties probably when that happened. Right. Yeah, and that's why the English team of the seventies and the eighties and the nineties because changing culture is really difficult. And 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 the 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 coaches that praise that of their players are those players became the coaches. In in the future and the parents of the future kids and and, and it's difficult to change um and and we glorify english english football glorified the wrong things no question but yep. can can we go back a little bit to um to the to the women and and to marta sure. because you know marta went to sweden and you know I've got an incredible friend that, you know, I went to college with called Paul Balsam, who masterminded Bolton Wanderer's incredible... Let's go back to the start. He, he, he took his PhD in the Karolinska Institute in, in Sweden. And while he was there, um, you know, he, he was asked to help out with the women's national team. Um, ended up marrying the physio of the women's national team, his wife Susie. And... Uh, and and, uh, but Paul did such a great job with the Swedish women that they asked him to take over the Swedish men's team. And if you look back on his record with the Swedish men's and women's team, he's been the fitness trainer plus and how to combine fitness with technical coaching, tactical coaching, in order to get the best benefit you know, uh, under all of these headings so that the players come out of that program best prepared for you know, the World Cups or the Olympics, you know, and, the, and, and this is a country that is, you know, with 10 million, pe- 5 million people, I think it is, look it up, it might be 10 million, but they've punched above their weight to an incredible degree over the last, you know, few decades since Paul's been in charge, and they've always been way higher in the FIFA rankings for the population of the country than they should have been. Well, you know, Marta went there a long time ago, and I think Marta helped Sweden change its DNA on the women's side because she was the idol of a lot of the players that, that you know, they went to watch her play in in the professional leagues in Sweden, which was one of the top three leagues in the world at the time, with probably the German and the Italian league at the time. You know, and, you know, they went to watch Marta doing her magic in Sweden, 
And, you know, Marta helped change the DNA to where Swedish women probably are more skillful because they had Marta for a long time showing them, you know, how to take their power. You know, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things tied up in this brave creative leadership, you know, which I've written a whole book about. And if anybody wants a copy, just send me an email, Andy at CaseyLegendSoccer.com. And that's the episode that we're doing next. We're digging into brave creative leadership and, and, and how soccer can be a great vehicle for that. Okay, brilliant. You know, and, uh, and so, but, uh, but, you know, what we've got here is we've got, would Sweden be as good if not for Marta? Would Sweden be as good if it wasn't for the fact that they're a liberal culture where women are regarded as equals of men, you know, starting off with? You know, it's, it's a whole different beast to a lot of the more chauvinistic cultures around the world, you know, which have never pro- produced a, a, a competitive women's soccer team, you know, because women haven't been allowed to play the game. Marta wasn't wasn't able to play women's soccer when she was a kid, girls' soccer. She had to play on the boys' team. There was one story where Marta went to her tournament with her boys' team, and she wasn't allowed to play in the boys' tournament because the opponent protested. And so she had to sit out of that tournament because they, they refused to play against a team with a girl on it. Could, you know, can you believe this? You know, it just, just incredible. I coached a team with two twins two twins, twins, you know, that, that, you know, they were accused of being boys when they were under 11, you know, because people had in their mind a, a, a very ugly, sexist way of looking at, at, at the game, you know, and, and two beautiful girls, you know, but they had short hair at the time. Their parents had decided to cut their hair short. Knowing those two, they probably asked to have their hair cut short, you know, and they were accused of being boys, you know, and, you know, and that we were cheated. You know, this is the club that, you know, when, when we believe the referee has made a bad call, rolls the ball to the goalkeeper because we will not teach our players to take advantage of an unfair call by the referee. You know, we want, you know, honesty. You know, we want integrity. We want great morals, you know, as well as we want incredible, brave, creative leadership. You know, it's kind of a yin and yang thing because, you know, we, we don't want to do the ugly stuff, the standing, you know, the, the rolling around and looking for penalty kick calls and all the stuff that Neymar does, frankly. I don't like Neymar from that perspective. You know, we've got to have a very different approach to the game. And, and, and anyway, would Sweden be as good without Marta? I don't think so. I agree. I agree. 100%. I think uh, individual players like that, you know, they can change generation. So how many players did Ronaldinho impacted? Like Ronaldinho nowadays is treated as a god in many, many cultures, not only in Brazil, but, you know, it's just people want to be like him. And he, he's a creative player, so people try to emulate what he does. And I think that has so much impact on the younger generations. And I think one of the things that U.S. needs to, to have is that creative player that once the U.S. starts having one, two, three guys that are completely creative, super skillful, and super enjoyable to watch, the kids are want to try to be those players. And they're not going to try to be the players, you know, from Sporting KC or, you know, just a regular MLS team that is, you know, tend to be more, uh, more predictable and, you know, rely more on the athleticism and the tactical side of the game. So go, before we finish, you know, focusing on the, on the women's game, Look at the character of Marta. You know, she's not just a great dribbler, goal scorer. She is a leader 
in the world scene. You know, she's stepped up, she's taken her power, you know, and, but she's a leader because of the way in which she was brought up, you know, because she became tough. You know, she's compassionate, she's a lovely person, but she developed that steel, you know, that a lot of guys, frankly, you know, don't like women with steel, you know, you know because it challenges their machoism. You know, and you know, Marta is that brave, creative leader that we're so big on, and I wrote a book about. She's a classic female example of that. Look at Megan Rapino. Look at the abuse she has taken, you know, because of her stance, you know, with you know the the gays, lesbians, you know, transsexuals. You know, she has taken a stance. Black Lives Matter, and she's become incredibly unpopular with the subsection of the US populace because she has been willing to step out of her box. She's been willing to be a, 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 you know, a, a proponent of a fairer, a kinder, you know, a, a more accepting world. You know, and don't get me wrong, you know, a challenging world. You know, you know, look at the way she's lived her life. She's, she's really challenged herself to be the best that she can be and be a leader, but she is not intimidated by millions of people that hate her because of her inclusive position, you know, and her willingness to make public statements, you know, like, you know, kneeling at the latest Olympic team game that's caused another forest fire on, on social media, you know. So, and then you look at Tobin Heath in a different way. Uh, you know, my good old friend Anson Dorrance at the University of North Carolina, who is incredibly creative, incredibly unique, and that's why he's been so successful. He is the most successful soccer coach of all time at the highest level in any country in the world. He's won a World Cup with the, the women in 1991, and he is the most successful NCAA Division I coach ever with the University of North Carolina in any sport, not just soccer. So, so you know, Tobin Heath played for Anson, and, and last time was there a couple of, a couple of years ago um, at one of his ID camps with my daughter. You know, uh, we were chatting about it, and he told me about Tobin Heath. One time, she was, she was a skater girl in North Carolina, and she took a skateboard just about everywhere that she went. You know, and one time, she was skating down an incline, you know, on the campus, and, you know, a car pulled out in front of her, and she literally, the skateboard went underneath the car, and she rolled over the hood of the car, landed on her feet on the other side, you know, unscathed, maybe a bump or two, you know, and, you know, and she was this out-of-the-box, unique you know, would, would apparently, you know, travel in the summers and couch surf, you know, because she just wasn't intimidated by anything or anybody, you know, and you can see this in her play. Well, how do we train young men and young women, maybe more importantly, young women, to be that, that character, to be that leader, to be willing to challenge men, you know, in, in any field in life and step up and take their power? You know, I've got eight kids. I've got six daughters, two sons. I don't want my daughters to be go along to get along. I want them, you know, if they think something's wrong that some guy is proposing, I want them to be willing to step up and, you know, obviously as diplomatically as possible say, uh-uh, we're not doing that. You know, we're, we're going to do the right thing here, you know, and, and I want them to be leaders. I want them to take their power in life, you know, and this is what great dribblers and goal scorers do. They take their power. Not for them is, no, you have it. You had it. That's what passers do. You do something special. No, you do something special. England drives me crazy. They play the ball around the back for minutes on end. You know, and it's like, 
I don't have any ability to penetrate. Why don't I give it to you? Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have any ability to penetrate. Why don't I give it to you? Oh, I'm sorry, you're an English player. You don't have any ability to penetrate. You know, and, and this goes on and on. And it's, it, you know, it's like a terminal disease. You know, it's like, kill me now. <laughs> it's, you know, we've got to do a better job of training brave creative leaders for life. And you can't do it if all you do is pass. You know, and here's the interesting thing. It, it, people accuse our players of being ball hogs. This is a classic. Hot dogs, ball hogs. You know why psychologically they accuse our players of being in ball hogs? And the worst, the worst you know, people for this are um, other parents on, of players on other teams. You know, we start doing these fakes and moves and dribbling and, and a player will take 10 touches, 15 touches, you know, and do two fakes you know, before they deliver a pass to a teammate, you know. And the parents on the other teams, you know, they just can't bite their tongue and stop being a ball hog. Well, you know why they're upset? Because their kid doesn't have the ball. Because their kid doesn't have the ball. It's because they are selfish. Because they can only see their own child and they can see that their child is being denied the ball and that the other team is getting better while their ch child is not getting any better. You know, and so it's about being selfish. It's about being literally a ball hog for your own kid, which is why you criticize the ball hog. You know, because let's be honest, we love to watch Diego Maradona on the professional scene, mm. unless you know, we're playing against Argentina. You know, and, but I'm that English guy that when he dribbled the ball 60 yards and scored the goal against England, I was on my feet cheering the guy. The, you know? the best is on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen these before, but they'll take like a Barcelona passing sequence of 48 passes that turns into a goal and they'll they'll put it into a, a short video to get you to watch. But they know that they can't play it in real time because people will get bored and not watch all 48 passes before the goal actually happens. So they speed it up exactly. to keep you engaged for the entire sequence so you can see it as opposed to have you ever seen them speed up a Messi or a, Mar a, a, a Maradona or a or Ronaldo run? No, they show it and then they slow it down because it's entertaining, right? It's fun to watch exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but, but let's be honest. You know, there are lots of those passing moves that don't reach fruition. Oh, for sure. They don't get to that player that puts the ball in the net. Yeah. What is the crucial part of that 40-pass move? The hard part, the thing you do at the end it, when the, you bear it in the back yeah, of the net. It's yeah, it's the rocket science of the game. Yeah. It's against the biggest, fastest, strongest, most tactical defender on the other team you know, that the, the player has to do something special to get on the end of it, even first time into the net, let alone take a second time or maybe do a move. Mm. You know, that's the rocket science of the game. Yeah. The passing, most of those passes are actually fairly simple. You know, and, you know, there, there might be, you know, some pretty intricate through, you know, some pressure in the last, you know, one or two passes to actually create the goal scoring opportunity. But most of the passing is actually relatively easy. You know, and so it's about focusing on the rocket science. And if you focus on the rocket science, the rest is easy. Mm. You know, it, and I just don't understand why people don't get that. But returning to the, you know, the Rapino to Marta to Tobin Heath, you know, their upbringing, you know, for whatever reason, you know, was creative was be that individual, you know, it was you're going to be criticized, don't let that criticism get to you, you're going to be different, be different, you know, celebrate your differences, mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, they, they haven't followed the path of society, 
you know, and, and so people hate them for that, you know, because they're out there and they minorities. Love them. And they love them. Yeah, I think, you know, the more intelligent people that yeah. are willing to live and let live, you know, love them for that unique approach. You know, so, you know, women are modest. Men are full of hubris. You know, and, you know, you know, when we meet women that are not as modest as we would like, you know, as men, it's challenging to us to accept that they're our equal, you know. And, and so, you know, unfortunately, we've got a long way to go before we accept women as equals, you know. And I'm talking about in general as a society. You're you not know. talking about the podcast group here. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. I kind of hope not. Um, so... Um, what else do you got? We, gotta, we should probably start wrapping up here shortly. Well, you know, um, you know it, it's, it's kind of sad, but I haunt other clubs' practices, you know, and you know, I watch other coaches around the community, and they don't even know I'm there. You know, I'm off to the side. I'm at a distance. You know, sometimes I, I go and watch, you know, at, at 8 o'clock at night during, during a, you know, a, a late-year session, you know, and, you know, there's nobody out there but me because it's too cold for the parents to, to be out there. You know, and, and I see that 90% of what the coaches are doing is passing drills, you know, with maybe 10%, if we're lucky, shooting and absolutely no moves, mm-hmm. you know. And this is again and again and again at every level through these other clubs. And I'm another coach listening to this, and I'm going, that's hogwash because my sessions, we spend the first 20 minutes uh, practicing uh, fakes and moves as we warm up with no pressure and the coach is off setting up the cones. Cause Which does no good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you, you, Just because your kids can do a Maradona with no pressure while you're setting up cones on the other side of the field for real practice doesn't mean you work on it. Yeah, it, you know, so, you know, it, it's, it's really intriguing. But, uh, and, 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 you know, I, you know, with our international tour division, with, you know, the, uh, the Super Clubs program that we've been, we've been running for nearly three decades, you know, I have been to uh, most of the EPL premier youth academies, you know, and a great relationship with Liverpool, for example. Steve Highway is an absolute gold dust, wonderful human being, you know, that came out and personally coached our super clubs teams, you know, and, and what, you know, what head honcho, you know, academy, you know, number one coach would actually spend the time to coach players that he's never going to see again, you know, and, and so we had a great relationship with a lot of clubs, you know, and, and a super special relationship with Stevie Highway and Liverpool, and, you know, I would converse with these, you know, these directors of coaching in these clubs and the amount of time they spent on one-on-one skills, moves, practicing one-on-ones under pressure in game scenarios was so, such a tiny proportion uh, of their time. You know, and, and so we can see why it is that English players and English clubs you know, you know, weren't that type of you know, you know, skill, artistry-oriented organization or individuals because it wasn't part of their focus. So, um, you know, and, but let's, let's now go from the, you know, the distant past uh, to this summer. And this summer, you know, we had um, the KCAC uh, you know, under-15 team you know, won the national ECNL championship, you know. And we also had um, a, a, a Toka team, another club in Kansas City. Their team went to the final four USYSA. And then we had another team that also is now KCAC, um, the, the Galacticos team um, that, uh, that went to the national final game. Regional, regional final. final game, sorry. And, you know, and... Um, these were the only teams that went on out of Kansas City to that level, 
And the Galacticos team used to be a Legends team, you know, and most of the players that grew up playing for us are still there. And the, um, the Toka team used to be a Legends team. And, you know, the coaches left our club and en masse took the teams with them when they went to other, you know, you know, these other clubs. And not so much with the KCAC team, you know, there's, there's only four players on that team that used to be Legends players. You know, one of them is a national team player and scored goals, you know, in, in a lot of rounds during the competition, both at the regional level, the national final level, including they were a goal down against the surf out of San Diego. And she scored one of the goals that, you know, that either tied the game or won the game. I think it was the goal that, that tied the game, you know, and the other player that scored the goal that won the game was another player that used to play for our club, you know, and only left in the last year or two. Um, and, you know, and so these teams were legends derivatives in terms of either their most effective players that got them, you know, their national championship win or got them to the finals of the regional tournament and, and in one case to the national tournament. You know, so we're not just theorizing, you know, and when you played for me, we had multiple national championship teams, you know, and, you know, and, and our players... Over the years, many of them have been on youth national teams. You know, unfortunately, we feel they left too early, so th these guys have struggled to maintain their edge into adulthood because they're like the Brazilians that, that Philippe talked about. You know, so we've been there, we've done that, we've produced the players to a certain level, but when they leave us, they start to go backwards in terms of their ability to continue to play at the very highest level or be that player that really makes a big difference. You know, uh, in, and that's just a fact, as we can see, of the stats from this summer. You know, and you know, we've got with Sporting Kansas City, we've got Tyler Freeman, you know, who rumor has it has just been you know, uh, you know, traded or sold over to Europe to play professionally. Um, we've got Zion Long. Both of these kids were on the US under-17 national team. You know, and, and, uh, and so, you know, we're doing this again and again and again, year after year after year, we're producing these players that take other clubs to national championships that, you know, get picked up by professional clubs and get sold on, you know, to, you know, fame and fortune, you know, in a higher level of play. Um, but dare we say it, they would have been better if they'd stayed with us, in our opinion. Does all that make sense? Of course it does, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, And I think, you know, that that's just about everything that I wanted to cover. Good. Those are a lot of note cards. Guys, this was a good episode. I really enjoyed the banter. Um, you know, it's fun when you get three people, right, that all look at the game a little bit differently. But we have, obviously, a ton of strings that tie us together um, from a, from a, a game uh, perspective. But it's fun when we spend a summer watching so much soccer. We don't just watch the game, you know, picking our nose, eating some Cheetos. Like, we're watching the game and thinking and analyzing and, and, and coming to uh, conclusions and, and forming opinions. And, I, I and, pick my nose while I'm doing it as well. well you've got so. a big nose to pick. <laughs> and, yeah, use all the time you can be efficient. And the best, hey, easy <laughs> and the best thing for me is like every time I watch and the more I watch, I just solidify my opinions. Yeah, you know, of course. What of course. I already believe. Because, I mean, it's so evident. It's out there. It's at a professional level. You know, you see the players that make the difference at the end of the day. You see that one team having... Well, an extra player that makes the difference ends up winning the game and 
you know, it has been like that historically, and no matter how the science and all that kind of stuff try to get, you know, in the middle of it, you know, it will always rely on the special player and the difference maker. So, and you made an interesting point because, you know, I get in, in discussions all the time with conventional coaches about philosophy, and many times over the years, I've had the conventional coach tell me to get out of my box. You know, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, no, but I was you. You know, I was a British conventional coach. You know, I, I grew up in the Charles Hughes methodology, hitting long balls, you know, and it wasn't until I really started digging into this after, you know, taking my sports science degree, you know, the, and, and becoming a student of the game, an academic student of the game, instead of just a reactionary robot, you know, that I was taught to, to play like, you know, and, and so I started looking at things differently and literally getting out of my box. And this is the result of coming from a conventional methodology, but realizing I was wrong. It, I, you know, I'm like the reformed criminal. I used to, you know, break into houses and steal things as a coach. I used to educate my players to be awful human beings, you know, to cheat and foul and steal and, you know, and do anything they needed to win a game. I was that coach, you know, and then I became more of a passing coach. So I was getting better. I was starting to recover, you know, I was like an alcoholic, you know, I started <laughs> attending, you know, meetings, you know, and, and alcoholics was this before anonymous. or after the Amsterdam trip? <laughs> I shouldn't have told you. It all started there. <laughs> I've never gotten the last of that. But over the years, I realized that, you know, you know that there were so many myths involved in coaching, like work on both feet. You know, the last episode, we, we destroyed that myth of, you know, that we work on both feet. You know, and, and I introduce all this stuff and I write about it. And, you know, and, and I have these people that they're literally where I was 40 years ago telling me that I'm the one that's not open minded. It's incredible. It's fair. <laughs> well, guys, great episode. We, we record again, probably not next week, but the week after that, we'll be back uh, in the studio recording. And we're going to talk about soccer as a vehicle to teach life lessons. Our motto as a club, what we talk about often with our kids is helping them to become more brave, more creative, and brave, creative people become leaders both on the field and off. And we're going to dig into that pretty good. And Andy's written an entire book about it. So I can assure you there's been a lot of deep thought and study that goes into that perspective. Philippe, Andy, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. you, guys. Yeah, yeah, take care. A lot of fun.